Well, brethren, it is my privilege <clears throat> to be here. And although I've been here many a times, every time, the need remains that we need God's help. We don't take it for granted that somehow we just get up here and preach and things happen. But the Lord has to bless his word because it's his word. It's not our word. And let us once again ask for God's help as we come to consider his word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we have been reminded in the singing of this hymn that you are our mighty fortress. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we do not rely upon ourselves, but our reliance is upon you, the true and living God. And even though there may be opposition against your church, and we live in a world that is no friend of grace, and even we in our own bodies, we feel the weakness of the flesh and of our humanity. And Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that you are greater than our heart, you are greater than he that is in the world. And you are able to enable us to serve you, to render service that is acceptable in your sight. <clears throat> so we ask now as we begin this day that you would send us your spirit. That your spirit will work in the preacher to give utterance. And your spirit will work in the hearer to receive and to receive by faith. <clears throat> and to discern whether these things are so. And Lord, for any who are outside of Christ, whether they are listening <clears throat> uh, online or whether they are here or on their way, we do pray, Lord, that no person in this place would leave not knowing that God has been among us. And Lord, not only that you are among us, we pray that you would come among us with salvation. Lord, we do thank you that a mighty fortress is our God. And so we ask and pray for your help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I took an antihistamine, I took my inhaler, trying to do something about this cough, so let's see how it goes. <clears throat> but what I'd like to bring before you this morning, and other opportunities, Lord willing, is <clears throat> there's a, three sermons, and I probably can divide it up a little bit more because I have quite a bit of material, but on the topic of our plans and God's will. I <clears throat> have reckoned with this in my life in different periods and even now in these days, uh, my mind has been drawn to this and I would think for you as a congregation in the situation you're in, you know, without a pastor, <clears throat> the question of God's will is obvious and is a concern and is a desire that you want to do. And, but in knowing the will of God, we don't expect we're going to hear a voice 
speaking to us out of the heavens saying, do this, go east or go west. <clears throat> but we have to discern <clears throat> by God's word, principles in scripture. And so I hope to articulate some principles that can help you, help myself, as we continue to live and serve the Lord in our lives as individuals and for you as a congregation. <clears throat> the Christian life is likened to a journey. I know that word journey, people use that word a lot, you know, your journey, my journey through this, my journey through that. But <clears throat> John Bunyan, as he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, entitled The Dangerous Journey, and we are on a road that leads to eternal life. And on this road that we travel as believers in living the Christian life, there is much that we have to learn about God and about his ways. But also along the way, as we travel to our destination, which is heaven, God is working on us, right? He that has begun a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God is working on us to make us more like his son, but also God is working through us to accomplish his purposes in our lives, to use us for his glory. We are called to be light and salt. The world is a bad place. We know that. <clears throat> the world is in darkness. And Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But how can we radiate the light? The light that we have in us comes from God. And to be salty Christians, <clears throat> we have to be committed to serving the Lord and doing his will. So God is working in us and through us, and he's doing this all for his glory and for our highest good. He works all things together, you know, word for good, <clears throat> to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So <clears throat> these are the things that we have to grapple with as we live the Christian life. Now, in thinking about our plans and God's will, first of all, I want us to consider the fact of God's will. How do we know God's will? Well, <clears throat> God's will is known to us in three categories. God's will is known to us in three categories. Firstly, God's decree. Secondly, God's revealed will. And third, God's providence. <clears throat> so I want to look at these a little bit closely. God's decree. In our confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, <coughs> and you could probably see it in the Westminster and other reform um, documents, but quoting from the confession, <clears throat> it states this. God has determined 
Oh, excuse me. God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. I know that's a mouthful. I'm trying to make it simple for us. God's decree, in other words, God's decree is what God has purposed. God has purposed all things that occur in this world. God is in control of all things. Nothing happens outside of his decree. God doesn't react to things and makes adjustments because things didn't go as he planned. No, God is sovereign. God is supreme. And God's decree is what he has determined within himself from all eternity. He doesn't change. He doesn't, you know, make mistakes, but he has determined by his wise and holy counsel He has determined all things whatsoever comes to pass. Even this very morning, the fact that I'm here, the fact that you're here, God has decreed all of this. And and only God knows his decree. That's not something we can ever figure out. We're never called to try to understand this. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. I'm sure most of us know and understand these things, but it's good to hear them afresh. Deuteronomy chapter 29. I know why that looks funny. I'm I'm looking at Genesis 29. I said, that doesn't look right. (laughs) Deuteronomy. Okay, Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy, excuse me, 29, verse 29. We read this. The secret things belong to Jehovah our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. And this is when the children of Israel, they were, this is the second generation. The first generation died in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. Their children are now adults. And they are the next generation about to go into the land of promise. So Moses in Deuteronomy is like second law, deutero, that word deuter means second. So it's a second law, that is a second giving of the law. It's not a different law, but it's a reiteration of the law. And Moses rehearses the law before this generation as they're about to go into the land of Canaan. And so here we read, the secret things belong 
to the Lord our God. That is God's decree. These things belong to him, but the things that belong to us are the things that are revealed. And that gets to our second aspect of God's will, but we're not there yet. But the secret things, I want you to keep that in mind. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. You know, I say turn with me. Maybe some have electronic devices. But you know how to get there. (laughs) Acts chapter 1. And this is when Jesus was about to ascend up into heaven. And the disciples asked him a question. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, we read this. The disciples asked, they therefore, when they were come together, asked him, saying, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto him, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath set within his own authority. They wanted to know something, and Jesus says, it's not for you to know. They asked the question, do you do this at this time about events? Will this come to pass? And even their question was flawed because God wasn't going to restore Israel as they have known it historically. God is going to establish the church, and God is going to do something different than what they have known historically at that time. Again, this is a period of transition of God's dealings with his people. But Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has set within his own authority. And and then I'm going to jump over, turn to Acts chapter 2. I want us to look at another statement here. We're just touching on a few verses that speaks to God's decree, what God has purposed in himself. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on a day of Pentecost, explaining that they're not drunk because they were speaking in other languages, but he tells them that this is in fulfillment of prophecy. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter makes this statement about the death of the Lord Jesus. Verse 22. Acts 2, verse 22, we read, Peter says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God unto you by mighty works and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, even as you yourselves know. Now note this. Him, that is Jesus, being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You, by the hand of lawless men, did crucify and slay, whom God raised up, etc. But note, the the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was all in keeping with God's decree. He says, 
Him, he was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God had purposed that. Even from in Genesis, when he said to, <clears throat> to the serpent, how the seed of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Referring to the Lord Jesus way back even in the Garden of Eden. And so this is God's decree, the things that God has decreed. So we know God's will in that way. But also the other category, the second category, not only do we know the will of God to be his decree, things he has decreed, which things we have no knowledge of. We know it exists, but we don't know what his decrees, how he's going to work and when he's going to work. We also know God's will in the second category as his revealed will. And as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. The things that God has disclosed to us, we are responsible for that. We have no responsibility for God's decree. That's all God's business. That's not our business. But what God has revealed, we're responsible for. God's revealed will. And where does God reveal his will? For our lives, he reveals it. And for what we are to believe, he reveals it in the scripture. In the scripture. Now I know that God has spoken, as you read in Hebrews 1, he's spoken in various ways and made his will none, known by the prophets, through dreams, through prophecy and other methods. <clears throat> but now in these last days in Hebrews 1, God has spoken through his son when Jesus came, who fulfilled the prophecies. And then Jesus sent forth the apostles to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Again, the apostles are teaching the will of Christ. God has spoken in his last days through his Son. And through the apostles, we have much of the New Testament. Luke was a doctor with a few exceptions. But the writings of the New Testament are all included in the canon of Scripture. We have Moses and the prophets, summary of the Old Testament. Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the prophets, the remainder of the Old Testament. You do have some poetry here, the Proverbs, Song of Solomon. But for the most part, it is summarized as Moses and the prophets, Remember that parable about the rich man and Lazarus? If someone would come back from the dead and warn my brothers, Jesus says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. That is the Old Testament. And the New Testament is largely the outgrowth of the revelation of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. And the book, the close of the book of the Revelation There is no more writings that is divinely inspired by which we are to learn and discover what God has revealed to us. All right. So it's in the scriptures. 
God's revealed will. If you want to know God's will, read the scriptures and understand the scriptures. The confession states this. I'm going to quote from the confession. And one good thing about the confession, in quoting from it, because, you know, you don't have a a lot of time to really dig in and study things. The confession is a small, systematic theology. So it's very helpful when you have a certain topic you want to look at. The confession really summarizes it down for you. And if you want to explore it deeper, then you can go and look at other things. But the confession is a very handy document. It's not divinely inspired, but it's a handy document to guide us in study. So that's why I quote the confession here. So here's what the confession says. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience, etc. That is an excellent statement. The Holy Scripture is the only, that is, there's no other book like it, sufficient, it is adequate, it has everything we need to know, And it is certain. It is you can rely upon it. It's not that it's you there's doubtful things about it. Well, I'm not really sure the Bible is all true, and I'm not really sure that's true, but it is certain. And it is infallible. There's no error in it. It is infallible. (coughs) It is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule. That is your guideline, a rule of all saving knowledge. If you want to know what it means to be saved, how to become saved, the Bible is it. The Bible will tell you all you need to know. Saving knowledge and faith, that is what we are to believe, and obedience, how we are to live. I'll give you a quote, 2 Timothy 3.16, you know the word. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some translation says it's given by inspiration of God. And even we read in um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, Peter says no prophecy ever came by the will of men. But men were born along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter was saying we have a more sure word of what is written here. That's an excellent text, but... We won't turn there. But it's, it's 2 Peter chapter 1, and I believe is verse 21. Let me make sure that I'm giving you the right reference. I have to double check my memory. Yes, 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. For no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spoke from God being moved by the Holy Spirit. And... <clears throat> So we have this sure word from God, the Holy Scriptures. And then 
And so that's how we know God's will. We can learn what his will is for our lives in the scriptures as we read and study. And not only read and study is not an intellectual exercise only. Yes, we read and study so we can intellectually understand it. But to know the will of God, the clincher in understanding the will of God is walking in obedience. Because when you walk in obedience to God's word, it brings clarity to your understanding of the truth by God's spirit working within you. And some things you can only know when you walk in obedience to it. Because if you just read it and think about it, it's kind of separated from you. It's not really something you've experienced firsthand in your life. But when you experience by way of obedience, you say, I understand that better. Remember, God is working on us on his journey. He's going to work through us for his own glory. And things can only, David says, I have more understanding than the ancients because I observe thy law. Psalm 119. So we, we, we have these three categories of the will of God. God's decree, which is none of our business. We can never know that because that's only known by God. God's revealed will, what God has set forth in scripture, teachings and promises and examples, <coughs> etc. Third category of God's will is God's providence. God's providence. And again, I'll quote from the confession, a brief statement that it says about the providence. And when I'm quoting from the confession, I'm only quoting little portions. I'm not quoting large paragraphs. There's so much more than what I'm quoting here. The confession states this, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and all things. Even or from the from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. God's providence. Now, God's decree is what God purpose, right? Is what God purpose to do. But God just doesn't. He doesn't just merely purpose something. He is actively involved in bringing his purposes to pass because things don't just happen. God doesn't have an idea and things get started like a deist. You know, you wind up the little toy and then it starts to go until the thing stops and you got to wind it up again. No, no, that's not how God rules the world. God is actively involved in every aspect of his creation. Amen. That's his providence. And so, the, as the confession states, God upholds. He directs, he disposes, and governs all creatures and all things, even from the greatest and to the least. And I want you to turn with me, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17.
There's a paperback book by one of the Puritans called The Mystery of Providence. It's a good thing to read. Acts chapter 17. Now here, Paul is in Athens. And there in Athens, these philosophers were talking and, you know, the spider spins out a web out of their own belly. The, the web, they shoot a web, it comes from, from within them. So the philosophers, they're spinning ideas about truth and reality, but it's coming all from their heads. They just look inside themselves. They look around and they say, ah, oh, they think about this, you know, the great thinkers of the world, and they think about things, and they say, ah, and they say something, and people say, wow. And all of this stuff is coming out of their heads. They're creatures. They're not God. And so Paul, as he was in Athens, these Athenian philosophers would gather to speak about ideas, to tell or hear some new thing. There were Stoic philosophers there, and... Um, and other philosophers, and he was at the Areopagus. And they had altars to different gods. They had an altar to an unknown god. Just in case they may have missed a god, they said, let's set up a little altar to the unknown god. And Paul goes to tell them about the unknown god, which is God the creator. And in Paul's, what he says in his opening statements He's made reference to God's providence. He doesn't use the word providence, but I believe you see that. So in Acts 17, Paul says, um, I'll begin at verse 22. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, You men of Athens, in all things I perceive that you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I set forth unto you. The God that made the world and all things therein. He being Lord of heaven and earth, <clears throat> dwells not in temples made with hands, Neither is he served by men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing that he himself gives to all life, breath, and all things. <clears throat> he made of one, that is of Adam, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Now notice this. Having determined their appointed seasons, that is when people would live, there's no longer a Roman Empire. God had determined when that would occur over 2,000 years ago. And that empire rose up, and that empire is now gone. God has determined their appointed seasons of nations and the bounds of their habitation. That is the boundaries in which they will live. That they should if perhaps seek after him, if they may feel after him. And then it says, <clears throat> then he says, verse 28, for in him that is in God, we live and move and have our being. So in God, our lives, our lives are sustained, and this is by his providence. We live, we move, we have our being. You woke up this morning, it's because God allowed you to wake up. 
You had breakfast and food, yeah, because the farmers grew the crops and they plucked them and they wrapped them up and they put them on trucks and they were delivered and they were delivered to the grocery store. And there you went out and said, oh, let me go out and get some eggs. How did those eggs get there? All those details of what occur among the, the affairs of men. This is all God's providence. He made the world. He sustains the world. He appoints the seasons in which we will live, the time we will die, where we will live. All of these things are all in God's providence. You know, we use the word, and I trust we don't do it as Christians. We should know better. But I say we as human beings, we like to use the word, I got lucky. I got a break, right? You know, I, I can't explain it, but, you know, it just kind of just worked out. Well, that was God's providence. Amen. There's no such thing as luck. It's God's providence, even when Mordecai in the book of Esther, when Haman was wanted to um, annihilate the Jewish people because he hated Mordecai, who was a Jew. And King Artaxerxes just couldn't sleep at night. And he says, read to me the chronicles of the nation. And so someone reads the chronicles and they read about a deed that this man did that helped save the king's life. He said, who is that man? Let's reward that man. And that man was Mordecai. That was all God's providence. The book of Esther is filled with God's providence. And God used that <coughs> to spare the lives of his people at that time. So his providence, again, as the confession states, <coughs> he created all things, but by his wisdom, he upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures in all things, by his most wise and holy providence. And I'll quote from Psalm 147, Psalm 147, I won't turn there, but Psalm 147, verses 7 through 9, it speaks about the Lord who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepare rain for the earth. You see, God controls the weather. He really does. Mother nature is fiction. It's not true. There is no mother nature. And, you know, it would be better and right when the weather is reported to bring God into the weather report. Because he controls the jet stream. He decides how long it will rain and where when it will snow, the sun comes out, the temperature, all weather, all these things are controlled by God. One of the Psalms says he commands the snow to fall on the earth. And that's why we sing and we join with the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Look at that sunshine and the snow that fell on the earth. God did that and God is doing that right now. He's upholding all things, and therefore we as believers, because our eyes are open, we freely, without embarrassment, give glory to God and enjoy his creation. And we say, you know, this is declaring the glory of God. You see that beautiful snow and the sun shining on it. It's God's glory. 
It's not all of his glory. But the heavens is speaking to us, even as the psalm says, day to day utter speech and night by night utters knowledge. It's speaking. And I, and I prayed. I said, Lord, let, I'm, I said, Lord, thank you that I'm listening. And how do we, I'm listening with my eyes, though, not with my ears. Because I'm looking about, and because I know what the word of God says, that God created all things, and it says of Jesus, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. All things are created by God. All things are sustained by God in the world and even in our affairs and our lives. Why you got that job. Why you lost that job. How you met your spouse. All things, all of these details in our lives, this is God's providence. So the world, you know, I dealt with that, so I, I won't say that. <laughs> Said that already. Okay, so we know God's will. God's will is known to us in three categories. That's the thing I just want to kind of just let it rest on you. God's decree, what He has purpose. God's revealed will, what He has commanded and instructed. And God's providence, how He directs the affairs of this world. Now. I want to go on to my first point. That's mostly introduction, but I just thought I'd take my time on that. <clears throat> first point is this. When, you, when we're considering our plans and God's will, planning is a reflection of God, our creator. Planning is a reflection of God, our creator. Now, as, as we embark on this um, study or consideration of our plans and God's will, I am not, the whole point of this is don't plan anything. Just let God guide you. No, that's being fanatical. And that's being irresponsible. That's not the point here. Because, <clears throat> and I'm beginning here, planning is a reflection of God, our creator. It's not bad to come up with a plan. It's a good thing. It is in our nature. It is in our DNA to make plans because we are created in the image of God. God makes plans. He has his decree, right? And he brings his plans to pass. And we are made in his image, and so we plan as well. You look at the creation of the world. God created the world not by random, but he did it by plan. He created the world progressively. What he did on day one was foundational for what he would do on day two. And what he did on day two is set the stage for what he would do on day three, etc. And he did it progressively according to plan. Now remember, God could have created it all in one sweep and everything would have been there. But God did that by plan, not only by plan because he, but mainly to set a paradigm or set an example how we are to live our lives. We are to live our lives by planning. 
Just as God created the world by a plan, and God did it in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. You see where that's going? When Moses gave the command, God says, remember the Sabbath, and he says, for in six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and rested on the, on the seventh day. That was Saturday at that time. That's why we ought to have a day of rest. God has set a pattern for us to follow. God didn't need that because he's God, but he did it for our sakes. And so on day one, was the first thing he created? Light. And I find it interesting, and I, I mentioned this before, is that God created light before he created the sun. Hmm? He created light before he created the sun. The sun was created on day number four. Day number one, he created light out of darkness. There was no sun. So, you know, our scientists, et cetera, could look at things and they try to figure out the world and all these things. No scientist can figure that out. How could there be light without the sun? The first thing he created was light. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. Then he created the sky. And on the... Um, yeah, I'm going to have to kind of, we're going to wrap it up here. But when the earth was void and there was water, it was darkness and there was water hovering over the deep. And he created light. And then he separated the waters. That's how the sky came. He had to separate the waters. There was water and he called the sky firmament. There was waters above the firmament and waters beneath the firmament. That's day two. That's why you have clouds. Rain can come down. Because the sky has separated the waters. And the waters below. But on the waters below, then he gathered the waters together. And he caused the land to appear. And that's how you have seas and oceans. You see that? That's how you have waters beneath and waters above. The sky is right in the middle. And then... He created the fish, the birds on day number five, and day number six created the animals, and lastly, he created man. You see, God is a great architect of creation. He created the world by plan. He created it by uh, progression. And we read in Proverbs chapter three, verses 19 and 20, we read this. Jehovah by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the skies dropped down the dew. God did this by wisdom. He did it by a plan. And therefore, as image bearers of God, we too ought to make plans. It is God honoring. It honors the Lord. It shows wisdom and prudence to make a plan. So that's the thing I want to establish here. <coughs> um, and when we, as we proceed, we'll consider, well, we come up with a plan. What do we do with our plans? What is our attitude toward our plans? What happens if our plans just fall apart? What is that all about? 
So those are some of the things I want to get into as we progress along. But I trust that at least these things will set a foundation when we think of God's will. There is his decree. We're responsible for what's revealed. And then there is his providence. I mean, things that are just outside our control. You know, you come in and you want to get somewhere and there's an accident on the road. And now you're stuck and you're late. No fault of your own. You didn't, you didn't know that that was coming. It wasn't reported on the weather report. You listened to the report, and there it was. And now you're late for this very special appointment. That's God's providence. So let us pray and ask that the Lord will help us to come with a readiness to receive his word as we progress to this day. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time to consider some teaching and principles from your word respecting your will. And we do ask that you would guide us as we proceed and that you would speak to us and that we would walk in wisdom and that we would live before you. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.